Good morning. It's great to see you all here today. My name is Renita Gilliland, and I'm on staff with our Kids Life team. When my husband and I moved to this area 26 years ago, we decided to make Wheaton Bible Church our church home for two reasons. One was the faith community that we saw we could be a part of, and two, the children's ministry. Since its beginning, Wheaton Bible Church has been dedicated to reaching the next generation with the gospel. And this was very evident to my husband and me when we saw not only how our kids were cared for in their classrooms, but their teachers and leaders truly wanted them to come to know Jesus. They understood that reaching kids with the gospel would not only impact their individual lives, but their future families, the future church, the future world they would live in. I'm so grateful for the time that they gave my kids. We have leaders like this and teachers serving in kids' life today, and I have the privilege of telling you about one of them. Mr. Chuck Kenny has been serving in kids' life for four years, and he's currently leading our class of third and fourth grade kids. Prior to retirement, Chuck worked as a technical director at Fermilab. Now, he had lots of experience teaching adults and leading Bible studies, et cetera, et cetera, but he had never worked with kids. Yet, Chuck realized that really making a difference, to really make a difference and have a lasting impact, that lay with kids. So he decided to step out of his comfort zone and invest his time and talents in children's lives. This is what Chuck says about serving in kids' life. Being a volunteer in kids' ministry gives meaning to my life. As a retiree, I could waste hours every day in front of the TV or the computer or doing hobbies. But the impact that I've seen in the lives of so many kids has given me a new purpose. Now that I'm retired and so many people my age feel like their lives are winding down, it's rewarding to see that I've found a way to leave a legacy that will last many years after I'm gone. I feel like I'm leaving an eternal legacy for the kingdom thanks to the seeds I'm planting through the kids' ministry, which, God willing, will yield everlasting fruit and lives transformed. Now, you're probably thinking I'm up here to beg you to come and serve in kids' ministry, but guess what? You're wrong! All of our roles are filled right now. Praise the Lord. That's something to celebrate, right? What I would like to do is ask you to pray for our Kids Life Ministry. This past year, it seems like we've been constantly reworking and refiguring out how to best care for families and their kids. And it seems like the stakes have never been higher. Due to COVID, kids are struggling with isolation and depression and anxiety. And while we continue to have online options, our in-person classes have been a lifeline for many. So as we welcome more families back on campus, our classes, the number of classes we can have open is limited to the number of volunteers we have. So please pray as we strive to make disciples, disciples who are growing up in a world that's increasingly more and more hostile to believers, disciples who will stand firm in their faith as they grow into adulthood. And then as you're praying, if the Spirit nudges you, we'd love to have you join our Kids Life team. You can just go to wheatonbible.org slash volunteer and find the age group that's right for you. I hope to see you on our team soon.
Bible, what a beautiful day to be in the house of God together. Can we stand at this time as we begin this time of singing together, lifting our voices to a God who is worthy of our songs. Hear these words from Psalm 113, 1 through 6. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and on the earth? So church, let this praise be in our mouth this morning. Let's lift this song with one voice.
situation this morning, church. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Yes, you reign. Who can stop the Lord? You hold everything together, God. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord doing what only you can do? Church, he's unstoppable. He is unshakable. It's because he is victorious that we get to share in that victory this morning. Let's sing of that story. Let's remind ourselves of that victory. This is our God. We worship him together. of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace 
through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Church, this is our truth this morning. This is what we cling to this morning. So we sing this out in faith. Our God is victorious, come on. We lift this up. And death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. We say. victory, God. And so, Lord, we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would light a fire in us. God, that we would respond to this truth, this amazing truth. 
Lord, we know you are here. We're listening, God. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more. We're hanging on
Spirit, we need you. We need you so much. We need you because without your presence, uh, without your ministry, it is simply impossible for us to see the things that we ought to see. We need you, Holy Spirit, because without your presence, without your power, and without your ministry, it will be impossible for us to love the things that we need to love and the person that we need to love. Therefore, we ask that in the midst of everything that we're doing this morning, in the midst of how we try to worship you with words, Lord, in a, in, in a, way, um, uh, in a way that we try to listen to your word, Father, we ask that you send the Spirit in such a way that his presence may be evident. And not just evident in our heads, Lord, but evident in our affections and evident in our emotions. Therefore, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be with us and to be in us. And once again, so we could see and so we can seek the things that we're supposed to seek. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. Good morning, familia. That was depressing. Let's try that again. Good morning, familia. All right, before uh, the preaching of the word, I just wanted to share a couple of things with you. Number one is, um, uh, I, I know that you have Renita here giving us all these uh, uh, update and uh, student ministries and uh, children's ministries. And I know that she said that she's not asking, she was not here to recruit you or anything like that. I completely disagree with her, by the way. I think that you, if you are not serving in the churches yet, if you don't have an area in which you're using your talents and your abilities, I want to invite you to invest in the generation that the Lord is raising up in Witten Bible Church. You all have talents and abilities and gifts that ought to be used in all areas of ministry. 
And I want you to keep in mind that our children are not the future of the church. They are our church. Amen? No, depressing. Amen? So if you're not serving there, what are you waiting for? This is not from the Lord. This is from me. But I think that the Lord told me to told you that. Just kidding. Second thing is, I, I want to invite you to continue to support the church uh, financially. Please continue to do that. Part of the reason why we, uh, we can do all the ministries that we do and everything that we do is because the Lord has provided uh, for us in amazing ways through you. So there's the three ways in, you, in which you can continue to support the church. You could go to our website. You could, uh, you could use that system with a text or you could just uh, send a check to the church. Now, today we continue with our series in the... In this section of the scripture, of the scripture uh, known as the Upper Room Discourse, which is a section that it starts in John chapter 13 and it goes all the way to John chapter 17. And this is the last five hours Jesus spends with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And I think that these last five hours, Jesus is trying to give his disciples what I would consider some of the, of the essentials of what it means to be a Christian. What is interesting, though, about this section is that if there, there's one topic that is repeated more than anything else in that section, and it's actually the topic of the Holy Spirit. It talks about, more, it talks about the Holy Spirit more than any other part in the Bible. And there's got to be a reason for that. So if you were here with us three weeks ago, Rob preached, Pastor Rob preached about that. Uh, last week I mentioned it a little bit, and today we got to look at it again because the Bible continues to speak to us about that. So for that, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, starting with the second part of verse 4, and we're going to read all the way to verse 15. So John, chapter 16, second part of verse 4, and we're going to read all the way to uh, verse 15. Can you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word? And if you are, are still here, can you please say, I'm here. I'm here. John chapter 16, second part of verse 4. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send them to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin. And judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can uh, see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Verse 12 I have much more to say to you, more than you can now hear, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own, He will speak. Only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said to this, I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known 
to you. This is the word of the Lord. I pray that you speak to us. Uh, God Almighty, we ask for the presence, the power, and the ministry of the Spirit, because that is the only way that we can actually make sense of what we have in front of us. Please, please be spirit, please spirit be with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may take a seat. So for those of you don't know me, that don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here. And as always, whether you are here or you're worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you. This text that we just read tells us that there are, there are two main things the Holy Spirit does. He's in the business of exposing and convincing us of something. And he is in the business of leading us to delight. I call this the double work of the Holy Spirit. His, part of his ministry is to expose and convince us of something that, as you're going to see in a second, is, you could say, quote, unquote, negative. And at the same time, part of his role is to lead us to delight, which is something that is, quote, unquote, positive. Actually, I think that everything is positive. But what I want to show you is that um, the Holy Spirit is like a surgeon, that before he heals you, he needs to inflict pain. That before he gives you the good news, he needs to share with you the bad news. The reason why I want to start with that is because there is this idea that when you experience the Holy Spirit, everything's supposed to go right. And what I want to show you is that that's not the case. Actually, what I want to show you in my first point is that the Holy Spirit, you know that the Holy Spirit is active and present because to a certain degree, he offends you. So, for the next 10, 15 minutes, maybe two hours, I don't know. I'm going to trust the Spirit on this one. I want you to be offended by what the Bible says. Because when he offends you, that's a good thing. Where do you get that from, Hannibal? Well, that's how he starts in verse 7. It says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send them to you. Now, notice what Jesus is saying here at the beginning. He's saying that it is actually better that he goes away. Because if he doesn't go away, they would never be able to uh, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says that that's a good thing. But there's something going on in the hearts of the disciples that this sentence right here, or these sentences right here, don't make any sense to them. Actually, one of the things that we read at the beginning in verse 6, it says that when the disciples heard that Jesus was going to go away, they were filled with grief. Meaning that they were experiencing something similar to a panic attack. Now, if you want to try to understand what's going on with the disciples, you've got to pay attention that the disciple has been spending time with Jesus for three months, uh, for three years, not three months, three years. And they have come to the point in which they believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Now, if this promised Messiah was going away, then the hope was going away. And if the hope was going away, then they just wasted in their heads three years with this person that was not the promised Messiah. But notice what Jesus says. It is better that I go away. It is good for you that I go away. 
it is good for you that the Holy Spirit comes. Now, this is the part that I want you to see right from the beginning. Because I'm about to make you feel guilty, I want you to keep in mind that that's a good thing. All right? You. Because I'm about to make you feel guilty, I want you to see that that's a good thing. You. I'm about to make you feel guilty. And that's a good thing. Because when the Spirit works, that's one of the things that He does. He exposes what's inside of you. And He convinces you of one thing to begin with. That you are not as good as you think you are. This is how it starts in verse 8. It says that when he comes, he will prove the world. Pause there for a second, because that's where I get the word expose and convince from. The word prove. Actually, the word prove can be translated in different ways. It can be translated as to correct or to reprove. But the idea here is that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not just to give you these beautiful feelings that you feel when you come to church. The part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convince you that you are more broken than what you think you are, to expose and to bring to light the things that you already have. Actually, what you're going to see in a second is that the Holy Spirit convinces you and exposes all those sins that affect you, that affect your relationship with other people, and that affect your relationship with God. Because there is no such a thing as private sins. Everything we do wrong is toxic for us, is toxic in our relationship with other people, and it is toxic in our relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit, because he loves you so much, he will show you that. Listen, just in case you're here and you are exploring Christianity, you might be saying, how is this encouraging? And I want you to hear me out. It is because God loves you so much that he cannot leave you the way you are. It is because God loves you so much that he cannot be indifferent to the very things that destroy you and destroys your relationship with others and destroys your relationship with him. So look at what the text says about the Holy Spirit. He's going to convince us of our sin, of our righteousness, and therefore we deserve judgment. He will convince you of your sin, of your false righteousness, and therefore he will convince you that we all deserve judgment. Don't you think that this is offensive? Especially if you are part of a culture in which everyone is telling you that you are awesome. We are part of a culture that tells you that you're the best thing that happened to God. This is part of the reason I've used this before, that when you go to Target, for example, nothing wrong with Target, right? But when you go to Target, you find those beautiful onesies for baby that says, you are a princess. Now when you grow up, you are awesome. No, you're not. 
How do I know that? Well, look at verse 9. It says that the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind you that you're not as good as you think you are because of your sin and because you do not believe as much as you think you do. Listen up. Every sin flows from unbelief. The root of every sin is unbelief. Listen, for the unbeliever, for the non-believer, the reason why you don't believe in Jesus, if you happen to be here, is because you don't think that Jesus is the Son of God. The reason why you don't surrender your life to Jesus is because you don't believe that you need a Savior. The reason why you don't believe and surrender to Jesus is because you don't think that, you don't think that Jesus is the ultimate authority, that he rules this universe. Actually, you don't believe that you need a Savior because you think that you are your own Savior. What is interesting, though, is that that is the struggle of the non-believer, but this is also the struggle for the believer. We as Christians, we still struggle with unbelief. This is the reason why we commit sins. For some reason, time and time again, there are times in which we, even though we believe in Jesus, we don't believe that he is sufficient. Even for some reason, as Christians, even as we believe in Jesus, there are times and times again in which we doubt him and we doubt his character and we doubt his nature. Isn't that the reason why we worry so much? See, when we worry so much, it's because for a fragment of time, we start trusting in his goodness and his control. See, we worry so much because for a fragment of time, we forget that he's the mighty one, that he's my deliverer and he's my shepherd. Isn't that the reason why we feel so lonely sometimes? Because for a fragment of time, we don't believe that he's Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't this the reason why we try to defend ourselves so much and prove that we're something? Because for a fragment of time, we forget who we are in Jesus and what, who, who we are to him. The root of every sin is unbelief. And there's not one person in this church that can say that you never struggle with unbelief. You know what's interesting about this? That without the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to become a Christian is simply impossible. It is impossible for someone who doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus to come to the realization that you're a sinner that needs salvation unless the Holy Spirit approaches you first. And this is the part that I want you to keep in mind. In specific, if you are exploring Christianity, the fact and the reason that you're listening to this message shows you how much God cares for you. This is the reason why we're having this conversation. But as Christians, it also tells us that it is impossible to grow unless the Holy Spirit is working first. And reminds you that you are not as good as you think you are. And that we all have blind spots. And that we all have tendencies. And that we all have areas in which we don't want to surrender. So, how do you know if you are walking with the Spirit? 
And I think that the answer of the text is, let him be the advocate. Let him point to you the struggles in your heart. And if you do that, then stop being a self-advocate. You know what that means? When we allow the Spirit to speak to us, and we put no excuses, and we don't try to defend ourselves. You know how hard that is? That the Spirit speaks to you, and you put no excuses, and you don't try to defend yourself. See, when the Spirit is present, we would never say something like this. I'm not aggressive. I'm not stubborn. I'm just a person of strong opinions. You will never say that. See, if the Spirit is working with you, you will never say, yeah, I don't have racist tendencies. I just don't like those people. You will never say that. If the Spirit is working in you, you will never say, well, I'm not greedy. I just like to manage my money well. You will never say that. If the Spirit is working, you will never say, I just can't forgive that person. I mean, I can't forgive that person, but come on, that was too much. See, but when the Spirit is working, we know that there are no excuses whatsoever. Actually, if you are quick to defend yourself, that means that you are resisting the work of the Spirit. Um, one of the things for me, as a, as a personal note, is that um, I, I could always find things to justify why is it that I did the things that I've done. I might be the only one, but something tells me that I'm not the only one. I think I shared this with you before, but years ago I was having an argument with my wife because, yes, pastors do have arguments with our wives. And I remember telling her, I said, Heidi, you make me so mad. And she said, no, you get mad because you are mad by nature. <laughs> Isn't that true? I could never blame that on Heidi. It's all on me. Imagine when the Lord's confronting me and I say to the Lord, I'm not that bad. At least I'm not like him. This is not what it means to be, allow the Spirit to speak into your heart. I'm assuming that you all know who Pablo Escobar is. Do you know how is it that he justified all the atrocities that he did? Listen up, church, because we do that in a different way. This is how he justified all the atrocities he did, by giving money to the poor. By giving money to the people in need and saying, listen, I know I'm killing thousands and thousands of people, but at least I'm generous. And the Spirit won't allow you to get there. The Spirit will tell you, you're not as good as you think you are. So get off that horse, if you know what I mean. Now, you would think that that would be enough, right? That's depressing enough. That's offensive enough. But the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there because not only he tells you that you're not as good as you think you are, but the, the Spirit also tells you that you are not as righteous as you think you are. 
Not only you're not as good, and we are not as good as we think we are, but we are not as righteous as we think we are. And that's, a, that's the whole point of verse 10. It says that the Holy Spirit will convince you and expose of our righteousness because I'm, I'm going to the Father where you, can, where you can see me no longer. And the idea here, or what Jesus is trying to say is this. No one is righteous enough to deserve the love of God and the acceptance of God. As I'm going to explain later on, what Jesus is saying here is that the only way for us to be accepted before God as a righteous person is through Jesus. No one else is righteous enough. And if you think that that's not true, I'm going to convince you with one, two, three, four words. Ready? Watch here. Pay attention to your actions. Righteous enough? Pay attention to your thoughts. Righteous enough? Pay attention to your words. Righteous enough? Pay attention to your motives. Righteous enough? And on top of that, see what your sin does to you, to others, and to your relationship with God. I am not as righteous as I think I am. You are not as righteous as you think you are. No reason why any of us would think that we're better than anybody else. No conservative can say to the liberals, I'm better than you. No liberal can say to the conservative, I'm better than you. Too close? A little bit. You know, Jack Miller was uh, the founder of World Mission, World Vision, which was a, a ministry that sent missionaries all over the world. Um, and he wanted to train missionaries, uh, obviously, to send them to different parts of the world. But he knew that one of the struggles for many missionaries, according to him, is that they will go into a different country thinking that they were spiritually uh, superior. So he would spend a ton of time trying to convince his students that they were not as righteous and not as good. So this is something that I used a couple of years ago, and because I be, haven't been able to find anything better, I'm just going to use it again, right, until I find something better. Um, and he created this thing that is called the tongue assessment. Now, get ready, because this is for you. I already felt guilty about this one, and I'm not going to suffer alone. <laughs> Listen, this is what he would tell the students. For one week, one week only, that, that would be your homework. For one week, um, do not do any of the following. Do not gossip. Do not spread a bad report. Um, even if it's in prayer, do not complain. Do not blame shift even if you're married. Do not defend yourself and do not boast for one week. And then he added, not only do that, but now you need to witness you need to affirm and encourage others. You need to express 
thanks and you need to praise others for one week. And he said, go and I'll see you guys next week. How do you think that went? Actually, I'll give you two hours. And I guarantee you that in two hours, you will fail that test. Why do you think that why do you think that something like this is so important? Someone says, because we need to repent not just of the things that we have done wrong, but we need to repent of those things that we do right, that we think earn God's approval. You want me to say it again? Yes. We ought to repent not just of the things that we do wrong, but we ought to rep repent of those things that we do right that we think earn God's approval. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Holy Spirit needs to come and bring to light everything that we are and everything that we have. This is the reason why the Holy Spirit needs to come and convince you. Not only that you're not as good as you think you are, but that you're not as righteous as you think you are. Therefore, verse 11 says, you deserve the same judgment that Satan got. The same judgment. If you really pay attention to the actions and your thoughts and your words and even your motivations... If this is true and the Holy Spirit is working with you, then you come to the realization, that you come to the conviction that without Jesus Christ dying for us in the cross, we have no hope, no chance, no opportunity. All of us are doomed to destruction unless the Lord does something on our behalf. That's why he told you at the beginning, you don't get the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit first convinced you that you need him. You desperately need him. That you are not as good. That you are not awesome. That you are not beautiful. You are, but not that much. That's why the Holy Spirit needs to come. And that's why the Holy Spirit needs to talk to you and speak to your heart. And that's why I need the presence and the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit every day in my life. Because at the end of this sermon, I guarantee you, I will feel so good about myself. I told them what they needed to hear. And the Holy Spirit says, and you too. Don't you find that offensive? How many of you guys find that offensive? Raise your hand. How many of you guys just don't care about life? Raise your hand. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> I find it offensive, and I also think that it's negative, but I also think that it's good, because we have a God that loves us so much that cannot leave us the way we are. He cannot do that. So what is the second role of the Holy Spirit? Well, in order to change us, he has to do something that goes contrary to what we do as human beings. He needs to lead us to delight. Now, before I make my point here, um, I want to take a few minutes uh, to explain how is it that most people, most people, even some Christians, respond to something 
uh, like the message, the first part of the message I just gave. All right, so let's say yeah, you truly believe that you, are more, uh, that you are more evil than what you think you are, and let's say that you truly believe that you're not as righteous as you think you are. The, the, the human um, response to that is to say, well, the Holy Spirit did his part. I am going to do my part. And what that means usually for some people is to say, well, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be more careful. I'm going to repent as many times as we're supposed to. And all of that stuff you're supposed to do. What I want to argue, though, is that you can actually do that for the wrong motives. Actually, let me give you three things that we usually do that none of them work in order for change, in order for us to change. What I'm going to give you right now is what I call my theology of change. This is how people change. Not just by knowing how evil we are, but actually by finding something else that we are so controlled by that we actually are willing to change. But let me give you the three approaches that we usually have, right? But approach number one is this. You could say, um, well, you know, I'm going to try harder, right? The problem with that is that we are minimizing the power and the presence of sin. Listen up, church. If you are the problem... How are you the solution? If the sin is in your heart, if your fall righteousness is in your heart, how are you the solution? It's impossible for us uh, to have the ability to say, I, I can change myself. The second approach is to actually force yourself to change externally. It's to do everything right. But in your heart, you have not changed. Isn't that what the Pharisees did? They did everything right, people. They went to church. They read the Bible. They were generous. They served in children's ministries. They did all of that. And yet, their heart was far from God. Apply that to any relationship you have. Let's say that you have some sort of meaningful, really meaningful relationship. Let's say that you are here with your spouse. Let's say that you're here with the person you're dating. Let's say that you're here with someone that is your close friend. Let's say that you go to that person and you say something like this. I'm going to do everything right for you. I'm going to clean. I'm going to cook. I'm going to pick you up from work. I'm going to serve you whatever I can. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to buy you gifts. I'm going to do everything that is good and right every day, every day, every day. But just so you know, I'm not doing it because I care for you. But I'm doing it because I have to. How would that go for you? What would your spouse think of you? What would your girlfriend or boyfriend think of you? What would your friend think of you? And yet, that's what we try to do as Christians, oh, I'm going to try to look better. I'm going to dress. Nothing happens. Your heart has not changed. It's only behavior modification. It's you changing the things you do without your heart being changed. Therefore, that does not work. And the third way that we try to change is by using human mechanisms. Three in a specific Pride, fear, and reward. Now listen, this is what my mom did to me, so she should feel guilty about that. 
that's what I do and have done to my daughters. And that's why I feel guilty about that. This is how we try to change people by pride. Listen up, okay? You do your own assessment, okay? Pride, try to change someone by pride is saying something like this. If you don't do that, you will become that. Or if you do this, you will become that. You know what's sad about that? That actually people become something good and successful, but they, they do it for their own motives. And their heart is still crooked. Pride does not work. Pride does not work. It doesn't change your heart. Oh, but that, let's say pride is not the solution. Maybe what we could do is fear. I know that fear works. That's what my mind will tell me. If, Hannibal, if you don't do this, I'm going to spank you. You know that that worked only for the time that I was afraid of her? Did you know that as, as I was growing up and I became taller than her, which is not a big issue, right? But I became taller than her, that fear went away. So let me share with you really quick so you can pray for me. Watch here. When, I was, when my mom would say, do this or I'm going to spank you. There was a time in my life in which I'll stand before her and said, bring it, lady. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Because fear doesn't change people. It doesn't change your heart. So pride does not work. Fear does not work. And the one that we use the most is reward. Behave, and I'm going to give you candy. Behave, and I'm going to get you a new pair of shoes. Behave, I'm going to give you ice cream. You, how long can you keep that up? How much money you have? <laughs> Rewards does not change. So when you pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing here, he convicts, he convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit cannot use any of the stuff that we just talked about. He's got to use something else. And what the Holy Spirit uses is that he cultivates a heart of delight in Jesus. Because we are controlled and modified by the things we love and by the things we delight the most. I think that this is part of the reason why the Holy Spirit receives the name in verse 7, advocate. Did you know that a name appears five times in the New Testament? Four times is given to, to the Holy Spirit here in, John, in, in the upper room discourse. But there's one more time in which this name appears. And it's 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And that name, the advocate, is given to Jesus. Do you know why that's so significant? Listen up, church. Because the Holy Spirit is a continuation of the heart of Christ for his people. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus leaving his heart behind to us. The Holy Spirit causes us to actually feel the heart of Christ for us. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to point you time and time again of how much God loves you in Jesus Christ, how much his heart goes out for you in Jesus Christ. That's why in verse 14, Jesus says again, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. Now, what I'm about to show you here is if you really want to see the heart of Christ for you through the power, ministry, and person of the Holy Spirit, you have to understand the distinction between Jesus being an intercessor and Jesus being an advocate. 
And what I'm saying here, I'm going to borrow from this author, pastor, and theologian, uh, Dane Ortland. He wrote a book that I would recommend uh, without hesitation. The name of the book is Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Just in case I said it too fast. Gentle and lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. And this is what he says. Actually, he's borrowing this from, uh, if you know, John Bunyan. And he says that in order for us to change, we need Jesus as an intercessor and as an advocate. Jesus as an intercessor, intercessor is saying that everything that he lived, died, and resurrected is what qualifies him to be at the right side of God. Interceding for you. And what that means is that everything that you have done wrong, everything that you do wrong, and everything that you will do wrong has already been forgiven in Jesus Christ if you truly believe and repent. Meaning that every time you struggle, all Jesus has to do is stand at the right hand of God and say, I already died for that sin, that sin, and that sin. Jesus is constantly interceding for his people. That never goes away. There's not a one point, there's not a one time in your lifetime in which Jesus is not interceding for you. You are always covered. But there's more. Because that's Jesus as an intercessor. But that doesn't explain Jesus as an advocate. Jesus as an advocate is something that he does every now and then. He does it when the magnitude of our sins are way too much. He comes into the presence of the Father as an advocate when our sins are huge. So I don't know what your category of huge sin is. I know what my my category is. I don't know if you have a sin in your life that you say, man, God could never forgive this. I don't know if you have that, but I know that I have had some like that. And when I feel that way, the Holy Spirit not only takes me to delight in Jesus as an intercessor, but takes me to delight in Jesus as my advocate. And I could almost hear him saying something like this, and I quote, Our sins feel far more sinful after we have become believers than before. And we do indeed continue to sin after becoming believers. Sometimes we sin big sins, and that's what Christ's advocacy is for. It's God's way of encouraging encouraging us not to throw in the towel. Yes, we, we felt Christ as his disciples, but his advocacy on our behalf rises higher than our sins. His advocacy speaks louder than our failures. All is taken care of, Jesus said. I don't care the magnitude of your sin. It doesn't matter what's the magnitude of your sin. Not only in Jesus you have him interceding for you 24-7 forever, but you have Jesus being your advocate, especially in those times in which your sins are unbearable. And in that, I can delight. And I guarantee you that the more you delight in that, the more you will change. So don't give up. Delight in the Jesus that died for you 
and purchased your salvation. Delight in the Jesus that was sinless, the sinless, the sinless God, Son of God that took the place of you and I as sinners. Delight in the fact that he is the righteous one that died in the, in the place of the unrighteous one. Delight in the fact that Jesus took upon himself the judgment that we all deserve. Delight in the fact that Jesus' heart is always for you. The more you have that, the more the Holy Spirit will help you see the things that you need to see and to seek the things that you need to seek. Do you have that? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I know, Lord, that there are so many times, Lord, in which our sin, it feels like if it's bigger than your grace. And, Lord, as a matter of fact, there has been so many sins that we feel that it will be impossible for you to forgive. And yet the Bible calls us to remember that we have in Jesus an intercessor and an advocate. Please help us embrace those two. In the name name of Jesus we pray. And we all say? Church, let's stand together as we respond. As we ask the Lord, our advocate, our intercessor, to be our vision, to be our wisdom. Let's make this our prayer today.
every promise, every moment, hold it in your hands. Declaration song today, come on, we sing. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust you know that one of the reasons why we should delight in Jesus is because God the Father already delights in you? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God delights in you, even in the midst of all your messiness. And now with that, we can go into the world knowing that the Holy Spirit is already working in people. All we have to do is talk. May the Lord use you as agents of transformation. May the Spirit work in you and use you for His glory. And we all say, thanks for coming. We love you, church. You are sent. Have a blessed day.